Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've been wanting to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job's not just to entertain, put it in context, educate. Call me, 1 800 743 CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. You and me, we need to talk about the hardest part of investing. We can all more or less figure out the so-called macro, the big picture economic situation, including the Federal Reserve, which will feed into the market. We can figure out individual companies. Or if we're willing to do the homework, especially now that we're in the heart of earnings season and all these enterprises are giving us the quarterly updates, we can get that. But there's a third factor nobody talks about, and we're going to change that tonight. We need to talk about on this ultimately sedate day, we're Dow advanced 104 points. This would be dip 0.07%. NASDAQ declined 0.27%. We got to talk about why stocks really move. And that's about time frame. The time it takes for a good story to come to fruition. This is something that bedevils even the professionals so don't feel left out if you're an amateur or a home gamer. Let's take a recent example. Yesterday, a prominent Wall Street analyst upgraded AMD advanced micro devices shares to the equivalent of a buy rating, saying that it's time to buy AMD as the shares simply don't reflect the greatness of the semiconductor company's future. That call moved the stock up nearly 10% yesterday, a remarkable achievement, given that it was really just entirely from one analyst's suggestion. Today, though, AMD gave back a big chunk of those gains, down more than 2%, but way lower mid-morning. Why? Because another analyst downgraded from buy to hold. Don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. In this case, because yesterday's monster run simply doesn't reflect the near-term, not the long-term, but the near-term future, which is unremittingly bad and possibly getting worse. Who's right? The bull or the bear? You'd think they can't both be right, wouldn't you? Wrong! They're both absolutely right, and this dichotomy is one of the things that makes it so difficult for people to pick individual stocks, including AMD, which we still own for the travel trust precisely because of this timing issue. All right, the bearish analysts, right as rain, because AMD's business is awful now and shows no sign of improving. But over the long haul, the bullish analyst is going to be right because eventually the semiconductor downturn will end. And when business comes roaring back, so will the stock of AMD. The difference between these two calls is simply the time frame. 
First, you need to know that CEO Lisa Su has transformed AMD from an also-ran semiconductor enterprise into a dominant chip maker in gaming, personal computers, and high-performance computing. Think the big data companies and how much power they need to run their web services. Think Microsoft tonight, which talked about how great Azure is doing. Unfortunately, all these businesses have indeed peaked for now. In fact, they peaked while AMD was still pumping out chips for those end markets like there was no tomorrow. Now, some of that was a judgment the business remained strong, seemed reasonable, but a lot of it came down to what's known as double ordering, where clients like the PC makers place more orders than they need because they're so desperate to keep up with demand, they're afraid they'll miss out. Some of it's because everybody in the industry misjudged the short-term nature of the semiconductor shortage, at least the part that's involved the, that I'm talking about. It lasted roughly as long as the pandemic then evaporated. Every client was suddenly stuck with massive amounts of inventory. Every middleman who provides ships was suddenly overflowing with them. And still, the semiconductor companies kept pumping them out. They're often the last to know. They found out the hard way last quarter, though, when almost every semiconductor company blew up. Meaning the earnings were so poor, so below the earnings estimates of the brokerage firms, that they had to pre-announce their weak numbers because of the giant inventory glide. Ever since then, the chip makers have been trying to get back into Wall Street's good graces, but they just can't. They've made fewer and fewer chips in some cases, like Micron, which has a hellacious glut, compounded by the unwillingness of competitor Samsung to slow its lines down, have actually cut back orders for machines to make new chips. Well, that's one way to stop a glut, but only if everyone else goes along. So now let's get back to why both analysts, the Barclays Bull and the Bernstein Bear, could end up being right. Let's start with today's downgrade. Then on the gist of the piece, it's pretty simple. There's no let up in the lack of demand for the end products. It still makes no sense for AMD's clients to order more chips. There's still a glut. In fact, Bernstein insists that the inventory's only gotten worse, not better, which is mind-blowing given the fact that PC sales were down 22% year-over-year in the fourth quarter. I think that Bernstein could be right about an overall continued decline. So how can the bull at Barclays be right? because he actually concedes that 2023 is going to be a big disappointment. There's nothing in this upgrade for AMD and a host of other semis, including two more charitable trust names, Qualcomm, which also got upgraded, and NVIDIA, which received a huge price target increase. That indicates he's looking for upside surprises for this quarter, or even the next one. But that's really NVIDIA alone, and it has to do with a particular kind of AI uh, platform they have. However, you have to understand how big institutional money managers work. If you truly believe this horrendous inventory glove will end and the industry can get back on track, then you can't possibly wait until the end of the year to start buying something like AMD in anticipation of 2024. If you're an institutional investor and you have to buy millions of shares in order for your position in AMD to make a difference to your overall portfolio, that takes a lot of time. You also want to get in ahead of everyone else, especially if it turns out that a reopened China begins ordering more chips by the fall. That's possible. But if you're Bernstein Bear, you're thinking, no one wants to go through the hell that awaits you if you own AMD this year. So you might as well just get out now. Right into the strength created by that Barclays upgrade. It helps that some of what happened yesterday was clearly short covering, not natural buying. The semis have been a losing battleground for ages for the bulls. So why not do a little bullfight knowing that the near-term quarters are going to be bad? So in the crazy world of Wall Street, it's not enough to think about the company or the sector or the asset class or the macro, including the Fed. You also need to consider the reaction and even the reactors themselves. 
I personally believe that AMD and NVIDIA Qualcomm could indeed get hurt by earnings. But I also know from yesterday that from now on, the bulls will use every decline in these stocks to do some buying in anticipation of the next up cycle. Because it always is that way. You always have to jump the gun. You just don't want to be too early. But I think we've seen the bottom. We're sticking around in these stocks for the Chapel Trust because, as we tell members of the Investing Club, we're willing to be patient for great companies. And that's precisely what AMD and NVIDIA are. Eventually, they'll turn around. I don't know when, but I'd rather be too early than too late. Of course, this isn't just about semiconductors. We saw so many cyclical stocks erupt today because some cyclicals are actually just doing really well right now, even with higher rates. That's the feeling I got from Raytheon. We saw Greg Hayes this morning on Squawk in the Street. Amazing story about aviation backlog. Same with D.R. Horton, gigantic home builder, putting up some amazing numbers. Best of all was Packard. You might not know them. They design and produce trucks, which is fantastic for everything that goes into a truck. And for Kramer fave and trust holding Caterpillar. Bye, 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 bye. The one area that seems just destined for hardship, though, remains tech. Today, the Justice Department decided that it wants more competition in the marketplace. So it's taken a shot at Google again. Ten years ago, we coined the term FANG on this show. The group remains snake-bitten. Fortunately, Microsoft, hey, that M never got into FANG reported a gigantic upside earning surprise, very strong cloud numbers. Much needed good news after the recent layoff announcement. But the bottom line, as we head into the heart of earnings season, I need you to understand that the reaction is often right, depending upon your time frame. However, it can also be wrong, as we'll talk about later. Either way, if you have conviction, the reaction can often be a great opportunity to buy, 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 or sell, sell, sell. Let's start with Barry in Florida. Barry! Hi, Jim. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show. Uh, I've been a You're club quite welcome. Since it, I've been a club member since its inception. Uh, and Thank you. Regarding the, disregarding the debacle this morning, my question about uh, Wells is about Wells Fargo. Uh, it represents a larger segment in my portfolio, and the result of a failed strategy, I am down about 17%. Uh, with the X date coming up in early February, I don't believe it's a sell, but I'd like to get an idea from you as to whether I should buy more I, or just hold. Okay, I want you to buy more Wells Fargo. It's a big vision for my trust, one of the biggest. I have to tell you that there was a machine breakdown where I had it down to 40 today. And on Squawk of the Street, I said I want to buy every share, hand over or fist. But Wells at 44 with Charlie Scharf doing his magic is a great buy. Don't worry about being down 17. Take the long-term view. The stock was at 62 in February 8th of 2018. Bill in my home state of New Jersey. Hey, big Bergen County Booyaski daddy from a giant Oh man, how much do I love Bergen County? One of my favorite counties in New Jersey Just for the record Uh, I'm still licking my wounds as a giant fan Jim, I need your help, I got some capital I want to put to work and I'm thinking about Realty Income Corp I like the dividend. I like your idea. I I think your idea is a great one. I wish more people had your uh, uh, common sense because letter O is a terrific buy. A lot of people don't think it has the growth. They're wrong. I like it very much. I'd like to take another. Oh, you know what? I am not going to be able to. And you know what? That's a shame. Um, Anyway, if you have conviction, the reaction can often be a great opportunity to get in or get out. Well, man, buddy, tonight, NASCAR, holy cow, where's my helmet? It's celebrating its 75th anniversary, and I'm learning more about the brand's legacy and fusion with the organization's top brass. And racing legend Jeff Gordon joins me as well. Then energy was the top performing sector in 2022, but not so great in the second half. And now that 2023 is in full swing, 
What should you do with the oil service companies? I'm drilling down on a handful of names to give you my take. And Logitech, one of our faves, plummeted after prelim earnings. So now that the report has been handed in, what did Wall Street dislike about the story? I'm getting some answers with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Sometimes after all these years, I just get a kick out of my job. And this is one of those moments when you look at this. In the past few years, the media landscape has been turned upside down by the rise of streaming, the decline of old school cable. But throughout this period, there's been one constant, the popularity of live sports programming. If you're an advertiser, it's one of the few remaining dependable places to put your money. When you think of the most watched sports in America, you might go to the NFL, sure, divisional championship this weekend. I think they'll crush it. Football always does. But you know what? NASCAR's right up there, too. NASCAR. Yep, the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing just had its best season overall. Get this, viewers of 114 million total viewers, over 3 million per race. Those are excellent numbers, but we want to know how they brought in such a huge audience. Today, NASCAR celebrated its fantastic 75th anniversary by the ringing of the closing bell here at the New York Stock Exchange. Very exciting, you usually don't get that. And we get a chance to speak with Steve Phelps. He's the president of NASCAR. And then we get four-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, vice chairman of 
Hendricks Motorsports GOAT, Jeff Gordon, to learn more about the sport's commercial success. Mr. Phelps and Mr. Gordon, congratulations. Welcome to Mad Money. It is an honor to have you here. Thank you. I don't know how we beat that introduction. Well, you know what? <laughs> You've beaten it for years and years. I'm not too worried. Steve, first of all, congratulations. It's look, It's been a consistent winner. And I've been, I, I was at the Coca-Cola 600, and I saw people buy the products uh, that are advertised in the cars. But I want to first talk to you about the popularity and how it reignited. What occurred? You know, I think it's a lot of different things. Um, for our core fans, it's really about the excitement on the racetrack. So we brought a brand new car last year, we call our next gen car, and that car delivered. We had 19 different winners of our 36 races. See, Five first time winners. So when you went to the racetrack, you didn't know who was gonna, who was gonna win. Right. Um, and I think it brought an excitement level. We had more passes, green flag passes for the lead. So great competition. And then we got a, a brand new fan base that's younger, more diverse, uh, more female, that is really enjoying what's happening at NASCAR. Well, and it's really because of the, the young stars that yeah. we have. Well, I'm so glad you talked about that because, you know, I've, I, you know Jeff, one of the things that, I, that when I went to the Coca-Cola 600, you know, it, it has a great fan base. But I like like what America is, okay? And I know that you guys are going to Chicago, which to <laughs> me is everything that's great, the melting pot of this country. And I know you won't be in it, but describe what this means versus uh, great cities like Talladega. I know that my friend Brian Williams always went there, but what does it mean to go to Chicago? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it as you mentioned, it's sort of this combination of uh, a, a big metropolitan city mixed in with, uh, you know, kind of middle America and, and the Midwest. And it just these, these two kind of cultures that, that, that really combine. And really, to me, especially in the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, that's what this year is going to be all about, kind of the past, present, and the future. You look at Chicago being what's go- coming ahead of where we can go, not just in the U.S. to a street course, but who knows where we can take that in, in different venues. Look, we're going, well, to we're, LA Coliseum, going to L.A. Coliseum. So now Coliseums might be uh, an, an open door for these. And, and I think with the next-gen car, that's what opened the door for that. And now we've got a lot of young big superstars that, that are you know making their own name for themselves as well as uh, bringing on a lot of other talent. Well, because you, you know I'm a stock guy. I always <laughs> think of you as DuPont. Now, how did that work? How did you be DuPont? Because DuPont is one of the greatest American companies, and I think of you, and it comes to me. How does that, that association work? So it, a lot of businesses that come to NASCAR, there's a lot of B2B. If you look at some of the owners and, and some of the other companies and, and how their businesses sort of interact. And in this case, it was uh, Hendrick Automotive Group, the, the dealership group that Rick Hendrick owns, and his race team. Uh, racing obviously being a great platform for advertising, right. um, hospitality and all these different events of bringing customers to, but then also uh, selling paint in, right. in the dealerships. Right. I want to talk to you about that because there are a lot of advertising in the, in the world, and I think a lot of people are pretty cynical, frankly. And then there's putting a brand on a car, on a, a, a on clothes for NASCAR. Yeah. And there's nothing cynical about it. Why is that? Well, it's the quality of our fan, Jim. If you think about, um, this is not a charity. So these right. companies want to be on these vehicles because they understand that our fans are going to buy the goods and services that are on the hood of that vehicle. Um, and it's as simple as that. And Jeff talks about the, the B2B portion of it as well, which is not insignificant. But the B2C relationships that are there and having the fans understand that and support it and then 
have the driver kind of intermix with that with those brands as well. It's just a really good opportunity for brands to have an ownership stake in that particular vehicle, right? So it's if it's the nine Napa car, then Napa feels like that's their car and their driver is Chase Elliott. And that, you, it works. Will it work in Chicago, you think, in a great uh, urban Oh, area? for sure. I mean, you, if you think about, Jeff talked about the L.A. Coliseum. We went there last year for the first time. Seventy percent of the fans who came to that race had never been to a That's a unbelievable. Race. We're going to have the same thing these, in Chicago. For 75 years, yeah. you reignite. You're, uh, no, you're, not, you're, you're uh, blowing it out. I agree. And so if you think about Chicago street course, the first ever street course we've ever raced in NASCAR. First time. And then to do it on Lake Michigan, around Grant Park, Buckingham Fountain, it's, it's going to be a really, really cool And it's not just about the race. I mean, the race is going to be exciting and fun and unique and different, bringing new fans. But it's, it's a whole event for the whole weekend. It's, it's you know, concerts, concerts yeah. and street events and, and places where fans yeah. as well as businesses are going to be able to interact. No, I mean, I want to go. You I mean, have I, to go. I have, you I have, have to good ways to be in a couple of hotels. Yeah. I mean, I'll, even if it just means I have to be on the top floor to see. That's what I want to do. I mean, this is amazing. Now, I, you may not know. But if you need a driver, I, I'm the guy. I did drive. Well, I don't want to say I was at the wheel, but I was in. <laughs> um, I, I've heard about not, your driving, Jim. Uh, I, I can't even parallel park, but for a moment there, I was king. I want to thank both you gentlemen. I want to congratulate you on 75th. I want to congratulate you on an amazing career. And I have to tell you, I think this is one of the most exciting things in the world. I cannot wait to book to be, I just came back from Chicago. I mean, this is just an incredible thing that you're doing. So congratulations to you both. And I am just so thrilled you, you came on Mad Money. You. you are something. Big you fans. guys are Big just something. Go, go Niners. Go Niners. Uh, I, I used to really love you. <laughs> I mean, sorry. you were terrific, OK? But anyway, that's Steve Bell, president of NASCAR and, and vice chairman of Hendrick Motorsports, Jeff Gordon. Uh, gentlemen, proud to have you on the show. It, it, it's really Appreciate sensational. It. Appreciate it. I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm a little starstruck. I tried to see it. I tried to see it when I was doing my own driving. Uh, and I missed you, but now I got you. Give you a few tips. I give you. Well, I, you know, I, the headlights, things like that. I'm good. Everybody's <laughs> back after the break. Coming up, can oil services prime your portfolio for profits? This is not a drill. Stick with Kramer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Now the 
that 2023 is in full swing, what do we do with the oil and gas complex? Now, look, energy was the best performing sector of all 2022. But most of those gains came earlier in the year. Later, the market turned very negative in the group as recession fears grew and fossil fuel prices just plummeted. Even though oil prices have rebounded nicely over the last month, it seems sometimes like I'm the only one who still feels constructive about the industry. And by the way, it's very hard to feel constructive about natural gas, which seems to go nowhere. But you know what? I'm sticking to my guns. I'm sticking to my guns because over the past few days, we've heard from all three major oil service companies, not oil companies, but service companies. And they're the best source of information on where the energy industry is headed. I think they collectively painted a pretty positive picture. Friday was SLB, that's formerly Schlumberger. Yesterday was Baker Hughes. Then this morning, we got Halliburton, which I like so much that I own it for the charitable trust. Let's take them one by one. Okay, SLB reported a nice top and bottom line with 27% revenue growth. This is a very big company, people. Year over year and 73% earnings growth. Cash flow a little light, but I'm not worried about that because the artist formerly known as Schlumberger also gave us a 43% dividend boost. Now, this kind of dividend hike is a strong sign of confidence in the future, specifically confidence about the ability to generate cash. Hey, look, unlike a buyback where you can walk away from it if you want, companies are loath to cut their dividends. Too embarrassing. Because of the cash flow number, though, the stock got dinged a little on Friday, lagging far behind the averages. But man, if you listen to that conference call like I do, there's a lot to like. Even though SLB says that when it comes to U.S. land drilling, the pace of growth is moderating, when it comes to the rest of the world and offshore drilling, business is booming. CEO Oliver LePush called it a distinctive new phase in the upcycle, with revenue up double digits versus the previous quarter in Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and the UAE. Yet the Gulf states are drilling like crazy again. More important, SLB made it clear that pricing is trending favorably. That's the key thing here. Thanks to both new technology and also a shortage of equipment and service capacity in certain key markets so they can raise rates. Overall, the company remains incredibly bullish about the year, saying that they expect another year of, quote, very strong growth and margin expansion, end quote. What's not the light? That's what I'm looking for. Next up, yesterday morning, we heard from Baker Hughes, in my opinion, uh, the worst operator of the bunch. Their sales and earnings both came in a little light. At the same time, CEO Lorenzo Simonelli sounded a bit more downbeat about the broader economy, is he still gave us a positive outlook on energy because he's betting on supply shortages. Why? Well, let's just quote him. With years of underinvestment now being amplified by recent geopolitical factors, global spare capacity for oil and gas has deteriorated and will likely require years of investment growth to meet forecasted future demand, end quote. Notice years. That means you don't have to worry about the cycle ending tomorrow. That's a key part of the story for the oil service industry. Remember, wells gradually run dry over time, especially these shallow shale wells that we grow in the Permian. So producers need to keep investing in order to maintain the same output. But since the energy collapsed in 2014, they really haven't been doing that. Huge long-term positive for the industry, although Baker Hughes is my least favorite by far. Finally, this morning, we heard from Halliburton, Prince Hal, my top pick in the group, and Shakespeare, too. This stock is also the Travel Trust's largest energy position. And now, let's go over this, because Hal gave us a solid set of numbers in line. Revenues up 31% year over year, higher than expected earnings, up 20% from the, from the previous quarter. Uh, that's previous quarter. Operating income up 78% year-over-year. Excellent cash flows coming way above expectations. Now, like Schlumberger, Halliburton also gave us a big dividend boost, 33%, another tremendously bullish sign that they believe in the future of themselves. On top of that, Hal announced they've resumed their buyback. They've got an existing $5 billion repurchase authorization, already bought back $250 million worth of stock in the fourth quarter. Going forward, the company plans to return at least 55% of its free cash flow to shareholders via dividends or buybacks. That's fabulous. You know 
my mantra, we want companies that make things or do stuff at a profit and return those profits to shareholders at a reasonable price, which is exactly what Halliburton's doing. How about the future? Now, if you listen to the conference call, the future's bright. In the U.S., Halliburton's expected, which is, by the way, where they really do a ton of business, unlike SLB, they expect drilling activity to remain strong and service intensity to increase over the course of the year. They also see the same supply challenges that SLB and Baker just mentioned, leading to more investment by global producers. Plus, CEO Jeff Miller, who's been on the show, and I think he's a straight shooter, points out that with China finally reopening, the demand for oil is going to soar. I've been waiting for someone to say that. The only way to avoid a shortage is with, quote, multiple years of increased investment, end quote, in oil and gas. Halbert expects international activity to grow, quote, at, at least mid-teens, end quote, with activity coming from New activity, I'm sorry, coming from Middle East and Latin America. Miller went on to say, quote, this is excellent news for Halliburton. About half our revenues come from international markets. We have leading positions in key well construction product lines and a strong geographic footprint, end quote. Even in North America, which is you know, not the core of this upcycle, they expect consumer spending to grow by at least 15% this year. That's very good. Market's tight, lead times remain long, and Halliburton's completions calendar is already fully booked. That gives them tremendous pricing power. Of course, Hal's gotten zero credit from these numbers, falling nearly 2% today. Oil was down today, too. But to me, this pullback feels like it's all about profit-taking. It's been such a horse, as well as the decline in oil and gas prices just today. Keep in mind, this stock came in way too hot. From late September through last week, Halliburton shares have almost doubled. In fact, we took some hot profits in Hal for the charitable trust earlier this month simply because discipline demands that you take something off the table when you've got a big run, something we've always explained to members of the investing club. Remember, bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs get slaughtered. We are not hogs. So let's put it all together. Well, you wouldn't know it from the newly anemic stocks, and I think that's short term. The three big oil service firms all gave us encouraging outlooks over the past few days. The best two, SLB and Halliburton, not only did great, they also gave us major dividend boosts. You know how we feel about dividend boosts on Mad Money, signaling that they're very confident in the future. Everyone seems to agree that the international business is booming. But the one disparity here is that Halliburton sounds a lot more bullish from North America. Maybe they're just a better position here. Maybe they're not stuck with just the ones that we own for the travel trust, which give back so much to shareholders instead of drooling like crazy. Bottom line, after hearing from the three major oil service companies, I feel a lot more sanguine about energy, even with natural gas prices at their lowest level since the summer of 2021, thanks to a milder winter. Long-term, SLB, Baker Hughes, and Halliburton made it clear that unless oil and gas producers spend heavily on drilling, oil and gas is going to be in short supply for years to come. That's good for the energy sector and fantastic for the oil service industry. Let's take calls. Let's go to David in New York. David. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you? Congratulations on Philadelphia. Listen, well, number one thank thing. You. Number one thing, you're not a broker because you sure don't make me broker. Number two, they know nothing. And the most important thing, New broom may sweep better, but the old broom knows corners. So the most important thing I want to hear from you, I got a stock of Apache's. I want to know it still has more room to run. Okay, Apache got downgraded today, and the reason is because it's much more natural gas than the others. I had hoped at one point that Apache would get a takeover bid, but natural gas is so down in the doldrums, nobody seems to care. I think the stock is so low that not only would I have not downgraded it, I would have actually upgraded Thank you for the kind comments. I like brokers. I like self-directed. I like everybody who wants to own stocks. Let's go to Belinda in Kentucky. Belinda. Hi, Jim. So excited to talk to you. 
About 14 years ago, I happened to be channel surfing and saw you and your energy got me interested. So I continued to watch. A week later, I bought your book, joined an online trading site, have watched you ever since, ever night. You inspired me. And you're very funny. Oh, Belinda, thank you. You're why I do the show. You're why I come out here. I would have given, I would have retired going to Italy probably. I don't know, maybe Mexico. I like those places. But no, I'm here because of Belinda. Oh, no, you got to stay on there, baby. You got to stay on. I I will. I'm not going anywhere. Every night for 14 years. Um, Okay, now to business. I bought PXD in November for $250. Its price target got downgraded to $241. What's your opinion? All right, Pioneer is run by Scott Sheffield. It's the highest dividend stock, highest yielding stock in the S&P 500. Uh, you, you've gotten some great dividends in there, and if anything, I would want to buy more PXD. Huge position for our Chapel Trust, and you know what? I want it even bigger. And but thank you. Those are very, very kind comments. Glad to keep watching. SLB, Baker Hughes, and Hal made it clear that oil and gas are most likely going to be in short supply for years to come. It's been seven years of lean here, and that's good for the energy sector and fantastic for the oil service industry. Hey, much more mad money, including my exclusive with Logitech. With the work-from-home boom becoming a thing of the past, what does Logitech have planned to make up for that difficult sales shortfall that was painful? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then regular viewers know I'm not a fan of buy and hold, but rather buy and homer. So I'm giving you my homework guide to earnings season so you can handle the influx of information coming at you. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Oh, boy, we've had a terrific start to this year, haven't we? But don't let that strength fool you into believing that the hardest hit corners of the market are out of the woods. Look at Logitech International, the maker of computer accessories and various other gadgets. Everything related to computers has been terrible because of this huge glut I keep talking about. Sure enough, Logitech pre-announced a couple weeks ago, disclosing that their sales were down more than 20% last year. Uh, that's year over year. Uh, I should be spending the quarter over quarter. And I've got to tell you, I was disappointed because their margins came in much slower than expected. And management had to cut their full year forecast. In response, the stock plunged nearly 17%. And that was in a single session. And it really hasn't been able to recover since then. Now, last night we got the final report, and there wasn't much in the complete numbers that could change the narrative. However, while the industry is in bad shape, Logitech is a well-run company. At some point, the stock will get cheap enough to be viable. Now that it's selling for roughly 15 times earnings, a lot of the negativity, I think, is already baked in. So let's check in with Bracken Darrell. He's the president and CEO of Logitech International. He's a true straight shooter who comes on the show in good times and bad. Mr. Darrell, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. Well, Bracken, you didn't have to come on. You could just as easily say this was a quarter where you were away skiing for the next month. But no, that's not you. That's not your style. So tell us how you uh, how this happened and how you're going to get back on track. You know, I, we've had such a great uh, stretch for the last 10 years I've been here, and, and particularly during the pandemic. But uh, we did get surprised this quarter. You know, we, we saw a pullback in the B2B business as companies really cut their spending going into the end of the calendar year. Yeah, you saw the announcements of various cost programs across all the tech industry and, and beyond. And uh, and then consumers just bought a lot more on promotion than we're used to. So those two things hit us. 
um, which which causes us to take our numbers down for the rest of the year. But we're still very optimistic about our overall uh, strategy. The secular trends are, are there, and, and we expect to be back on track soon. Well, let's talk about that. At one point in the conference call, you did answer to a question of Morgan Stanley, of which rebound can we expect, which market vertical. And you say, look, we think that first is in gaming. Talk to me about that, because that's what I believe in. You know, I think, I think you know, we, if I said there are three big areas in our business, there's gaming, there's what we call the personal workspace, which is my keyboards, and then there's conference rooms and offices. I think, you know, kind of in reverse order, businesses tend to enter a slowdown cycle later and emerge later. And so I think the B2B, we saw the B2B entering now, and so it'll probably be in there for a little while, and then it'll come in a little later. Uh, gaming, which is a consumer business, entered earlier. It's been soft, still soft. But I think it'll probably come out a little bit earlier. And then the, the mice and keyboard business will be in between. Now, I was intrigued, I tell you, by G Cloud. I know a lot of people will do gaming on the go. I know from Take Two. Uh, is this something that can move the needle? You know, I'm excited about G Cloud. It's a, new, a completely new category, not just for us, but for the world. So we're always very careful with new categories. It's on track so far. We've launched only in the U.S., but we're expanding into Europe and Japan. So I'll keep you posted next time I come on. All right. Now, video collaboration, I didn't want to see that get weak. I also feel I feel that people working from home, working from anywhere, that hasn't changed. It's only, to me, to some degree, gotten more embedded. I thought video collaboration would be better for you. Uh, you know, I did, too. I was disappointed by our video collaboration numbers. Remember, that's mainly the, the video conferences uh, equipment that goes in rooms. Or, and uh, I think what's happening there is you've just got the combination of you know, companies cutting their spending as they're as they're entering this quarter, trying to get their cost under control, and then they'll come back and spend again. And then the second thing is, you know, really uh, at the end of the day, a lot of companies are still trying to scratching their heads and figuring out exactly how they're going to set themselves up in an office for hybrid work. We're no different, Jim. We, we're video enabling our offices right now. We're probably a little ahead of the curve, but I think that's what's happening. So this is going to happen. It's inevitable. Hybrid work is happening. It's going to be. You're going to need video in all those rooms and offices, so it'll come back. It's just, I think we've got a temporary pause. Well, let, let's get a little philosophical for a second. I have to be, you know, I have to Zoom a lot, and I like to use Logitech because I don't like look like a zombie. I think looking like a zombie is uncool. There's a huge number of people who don't seem to mind. I've always felt that if you're going to be on TV, you're going to have anything that's where you want to be represented as yourself. You need a Logitech device. Why is that not dawn on people? Or do you need a lot more money to explain to people they do not look, need to look as atrocious as they do? I think, we, <laughs> I think, I think we're probably not as hard-hitting as you are, Jim. <laughs> but, but I think the more we talk about it, the more we market it, the better we'll do. Well, look, I, I do think that when I look at these different businesses, I have to believe uh, and I say this tonight in the show, that gluts do end. What, how does a glut end? What does it look like? A glut, a glut meaning in, what's your definition in this well, particular Well, I mean, that we finally just decide, you know what, that PC, I need a new PC, and I got to upgrade, and, and the stuff is so new and revolutionary, my stuff looks like it's too old-fashioned, which, you know, to me, with tech is always the case. Yeah, you know, I think... I think what's what's most likely to happen, at least for us, is as people do start to get their footprints together, for example, in the office, the companies are going to then move forward. They're spending. They're going to say, OK, we've got to video enable these offices now. We're, we're busting at the seams when people are in those offices two or three days a week and they need to be video enabled on the other. And, and you certainly want people to be able to see face to face like we are now. So you need the full range of equipment we offer on the workspace side. 
I think it'll probably happen more gradually, which means long-term systematic growth. I think people will, will uh, you know, look, now this, this spot I'm sitting in right now is part of my home decor. So there's no way this is going to stay like this forever. You're going to eventually want to upgrade it, make it look better, make it feel better, and, and get the highest performing stuff you need. And as you said, a webcam's a must. All right, Bracken. And, you know, I'm a believer. I, I, well, why am I a believer? Because I use your stuff in every aspect, and I, I find it to be a step up from what other people pay a lot more for. I think that's important. This is Bracken Darrell, President and CEO of Logitech. Thank you for coming on, Bracken. It's great to see you. Thanks so much, Jim. Okay. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, on the lightning round, I'm going to start with Neil in New Mexico. Neil. Yes. Booyah, Jim. I'm a long time. Booyah, Neil. So long. I remember when you Thank said you. to have a little spec in your portfolio to keep your interests. And my spec was downgraded December 14th. And now today, since that time, it's up about 40%. And I wonder what you think of QuantumScape, the battery developer. I think, that, I think you should take the money and run because I don't think that they have a product that I feel you should have that kind of level of conviction in. I'm going to go to Ian in Indiana. Ian. Jimbo, last week Yo. you talked about the era of selfies. And this stock yes. made me a ton of money a couple of years ago, but it's been beaten down ever since. What do we think about InMode? You know, why is this stock beaten down? It sells incredibly cheap medical instrument. It, it, it sells it like below market multiple. Frankly, I don't get it, and that makes me want to look more into it, not just say buy it. Let's go to Michael, my home state of New Jersey. Michael! This guy's about as fired up as I've heard since we started the show. I'm doing well. How about you? I am doing great, Gab. Thank you so much. I got a question about Amicus Therapeutics. Hold is a ticker. I think that that stock is an ideal spec. I love these companies that are trying to solve niche issues. Look at Biomarin, BMRN, and how great that's been to us. Now let's go to Alan in Florida. Alan. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Jim. I wonder if you had any thoughts about exact sciences and lab. I don't know. They're losing too much money, to be honest. I'm kind of baffled. I'm baffled by how they can lose so much money. That's what I don't like about it. Let's go to Nick in New Jersey. Nick. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am doing well, Nick, fellow New Jerseyan. How about you? Uh, very, very good. Thanks for asking. I'm calling about Array Technologies, major government funding for solar, very strong you know revenue what? growth. The chart looks great. Say no more. You are. I, I've been looking for a new way to play solar. I'm tired of the end phase. I was telling Ben Stoto, also known as Chef Ben, that it's absolutely right. We got to find more. I think Array may be the way to play solar. That's. I think. Guys got horse sense. That's what we're going to do. Hey, how about Devin? Not the energy kind. Devin in New York. Devin. Hey Jim, how's it going? Long time listener, first time caller here. Fantastic. Wanted to uh, ask Fantastic. you about. A, uh, a little passive real estate vehicle, triple uh, triple net, uh, national retail properties, ticker NNN. 
Okay, I only know them peripherally. They're uh, Florida-based, but I will tell you this. Triple net lease, I like realty income. Letter O, that's been my favorite. That's been my go-to. That gives you a monthly paycheck, and it's got a very, very close to the same dividend. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, make the nattering nabobs of know-nothingism work for you. J&J as a case study for using caution to your advantage. Next. We saw tremendous chaos in the stock market, and I'm not talking about that bizarre computer errors that generated crazy trading in a few stocks before the computer settled down and price returned to normal. No, I'm talking about intellectual chaos, or more specifically, institutional lunacy that happens when you have so many important companies reporting all at once. For those who do not know what they are doing and have not done the homework or don't know how to do it, the action can be compelling, and unfortunately for the naive, just plain wrong. What do I mean by the homework? Let me give you a classic example. This morning, the great company that is Johnson & Johnson reported earnings. J&J is a $440 billion company. So you figure that any company that big should trade in an accurate way that reflects the fundamentals, right? Now, going into J&J's quarter, the stock was down about 5% year-to-date. It's part of a rotation out of soft goods and economically insensitive stocks. And then there's stocks that benefit from a stronger economy. You know, anticipation of a soft landing, end of the tightening cycle. That's all well and good, but we know that stocks ultimately trade on their own fundamentals, not on some broader zeitgeist. And it is zeitgeist about what the Fed's going to do, right? We don't know. Right now is when J&J should trade on its own earnings and guidance. So what happens? Its quarter comes out along with the guidance. It's positive, real positive. Further, Joe Walk, the excellent chief financial officer, dissected the quarter on Squawk Box. The interview confirmed what was a remarkable upside surprise, given that CEO Joaquin Duato had been cautious about J&J's future not long ago, just at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference at the beginning of the year. So the stock rallies, of course, it's up a buck and a half. I did my own work on it and found that the consumer division, soon to be spun off, had a remarkable quarter with about 6% organic growth. That puts it in the upper tier. It's not easy for a company with Neutrogena and Tylenol and other household names to have a spike in sales, but it was for real. Not only that, but concerns that I had about the possible loss of exclusivity of key drugs were answered in a very positive way. In short, a key negative was rebutted and a new positive appeared on the horizon. Plus, the company's medtech division was, sh- was hurt by the shutdown of China, something that's now being reversed, and that was positive, too. I then heard nothing on the actual conference call that would disturb that first upside move other than a moment when Joe, who runs the conference call, said that J&J is a naturally conservative company. That's one of the reasons why I like it so much. It's not a bunch of yahoos telling you everything's great and it isn't. So now you have your assumptions derived from homework upended by a better-than-expected quarter. Does the stock stay up, though? No. See, there's this huge rotation out of pharma into cyclicals, and that amounts to a riptide against a stock like the uh, J&J. There's only one problem. Some less informed people and some machines, just actual machines that do writing, see the turn in the stock, they see it go down, and then, and only then, do they make up a reason why it's down. Oh, I heard that the consumer strength isn't sustainable. I heard that the company talked about the slowdown in the economy. I heard about that possibility that China's not coming back. I heard everything other than the truth. So what happens? The stock drops from $169.50 to $166 in almost a straight line. This, quite frankly, is the market on stupid drugs. Being driven by wrong headlines, false assumptions, and a belief that you can simply watch a stock 
go down and then make a decision that the company's doing poorly. What's really going on here? I think it's the market actually doing some calling. There are some who know and do the homework for themselves and for others like the investing club, like we try to do with J&J. And there are others who are swayed by the action. This strange turn of events happens every couple of quarters for J&J. But how about this? If you look over a 10-year horizon, you will find nine times where we learn that J&J is doing badly despite its excellent acquisition, solid growth, and phenomenal balance sheet. In that period of time, what's happened? The stock has gone from 163 to 168, and that does not include the very large dividend. Every one of these kind of uninformed declines, a buying opportunity. Or to put it another way, the market slash journalist industrial complex has been faking you out forever. Sometimes you need to take counsel of those who know the real expectations and know that they have beaten, been beaten and buy the stock rather than sell it because of the uninformed and negative action. Oh, and for the record, what happened? Well, you could have bought J&J at a real nice place because you know why? It ended up rallying and finishing unchanged at $168. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.